The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast, brought to you by Underdog Fantasy and Fantrax. My guest today is the legend Steve Gardner from USA Today, uh, who commissions the uh, leagues of alternative baseball reality, of which uh, we were both obviously participating in this past weekend. Steve, thanks so much for joining me. You're so welcome, and a uh, pleasure to be here and talk about labor and, and everything else. Uh, it's I think I'm still on kind of a high from the uh, the entire weekend. It was just a great time with everybody seeing everybody and getting back to live drafting that uh, it's, it's still giving me a, a real good feeling. Yeah, I, I agree. It was just, uh, it was such a kind of a positive atmosphere. Everyone was having fun. Everyone was catching mm-hmm. up and, you know, telling stories and, and sharing, you know, how the personal lives are going, you know, lots of uh, good fantasy baseball conversations as well. So that was, that was definitely a weekend to remember. Uh, how how much i mean you you mentioned just kind of getting to see everybody just how much fun was it for you to finally get back to these auctions you know being in person everyone being in the same room was were there any sort of memories or moments that that really stand out that as you look back well obviously uh having not done this since the 2020 season and having to do all of our labor drafts online um it was great to just get back in the room get used to you know having an auctioneer a uh, little bit of personality, you know, spilling out from everyone. And um, I think we all like to, uh, you know, think back on on things we could have done differently, um, things that worked, things that didn't work. And when you talk about moments or anything like that, I think uh, anytime you're in a bidding war with somebody, I remember I was bidding on, on Shohei Otani pretty early in the AL draft. And uh, Colton and the Wolfman were going up and I and had it like 31. And I was like, I can't let them have it for that. And so I, I bid a little bit more, and I wasn't even thinking about having Otani on my roster. But if they were going to get him for that kind of price, you know, I can't let that happen. So some of the gamesmanship that you see in the room, um, that was really fun to get back to. Yeah, absolutely. I I had a similar experience with uh, Anthony Rizzo and Ian Kahn. Uh, I had zero plans on, on getting Rizzo in that auction, but I, I couldn't let Ian get him for 16. So uh, I got stuck with him at 17, but I, I still thought that was a good value. Uh, yeah. I, I, 
I was laughing uh, on several occasions. You were in bid offs with Brett Sayer, who I was sitting next to, and uh, it was a it was kind of a game of chicken between you two on on a few of those guys. Indeed, and we went back and forth. It was right all in the same part of the draft too. I know um, Jordan Alvarez was the guy that we first sparred on. I think uh, in, in that regard, and I, I pushed him up a little bit, uh, maybe out of his comfort zone. But um, I think he ended up getting Alvarez for 35 or something like that. And, um, and then coming back around, um, uh, I had uh, a couple of guys, Eloy Jimenez. Um, he was pushing me on uh, a couple other guys. Uh, maybe, maybe he was in on, on Byron Buxton as well. But, um, but yeah, we had a little back and forth and he got a couple of those guys and I got a couple of them. And it seems like, you know, at, at every turn, at that point in the draft, we were fighting over the same guys, and, and that was fun too. So Glenn Colton made a point in our uh, sort of Q&A the next morning about how uh, some people in the room have tells uh, when they're bidding, but he said, Steve doesn't have any tells. Uh, <laughs> do, do you, do you kind of just – do you think you got a good poker face? Is it because you're, you're in on most players? How, what, what do you kind of – how do you explain that? I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe it's my face for radio or, or something. <laughs> but um, I, I think what it is in my strategy or the way that I play the game, I like to have a lot of variety and change things up. So I'm never, you know, uh, throwing out a guy at the same price. Um, never, you know, really intensely bidding all the time. Uh, or waiting until, you know, it's going once, going twice. I think that's kind of, you know, I just, I just like to vary things up and, and I like to keep things moving as well. So maybe that's part of it. Although it's funny, I was talking with some of the, um, the uh, attendees there who were at the first pitch uh, Florida conference and they were saying, well, what do your tell, you know, do you do something, you do things during the draft? And we were talking a little bit and they were kind of giving me some information and, you know, like when I'm, think I have a good team or what I think things are going well, some of my habits. So maybe I'll keep those to myself, but um, it's, I think everybody has their own little quirks and maybe for me, it's just doing things, trying to do things at least differently every time around. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, And maybe Glenn has, maybe he has a tell on you and he wants you to think he doesn't have a tell on you. That could very well be after all these years uh, drafting with those guys, it would, would not surprise me one bit. So I thought uh, Austin Riley um, for, for 30 uh, was a really good buy in the NL auction. There were actually, there were a lot of, that was, that was to Ron Chandler there. I thought there, to me, there were maybe more good buys or value buys in my opinion, in the, on the NL side than the AL side, that might just be because I wasn't in the room and it's, it's a lot easier to just say, Oh, I would have gotten the extra dollar there. Um, And then I also thought your Tyler Molly for eight dollars was the steal of the al and and that really kind of came down to hit just when he got uh nominated he, he got nominated pretty late um did you have any any buys that really stood out to you as, as some of the better uh values from from either the al or the nl auction well i think you hit it on the on the nl there are a lot of really you know high level tier one tier two starting pitchers and so you know, you're going to, if you're patient, probably get a decent price on some of those. I mean, I think we had like uh, 
four or five of them were over 30, but then there were nine or the, or so that were still 20 to 30, you know, in that range. So you could save a couple of dollars and get you, um, you know, a similar quality pitcher. Uh, let me take a look real fast and, and just check those prices. I mean, you've got um, you Darvish was 24. Zach Wheeler was 24. Um, Max Fried was 25. Zach Gallen, 22. You know, so you're if you're playing in that sort of, you know, space, and I went Max Scherzer was my my ace at 30. But if you're if you waited a little bit longer, I think you had a chance to get some some decent buys there. Um, for me in the NL, I think um, Bryce Harper. I don't know. I think he's one of those potential game changing type picks this year in NL only drafts because, you know, he's only going to be available for for half of the season, we think at this point. Um, which leaves you some room to fill that spot in. You can use it any position because he's going to be utility only. Uh, so you could possibly get some decent, uh, you know, fillers off the waiver wire, off your reserves. Um, so, and if he comes back earlier, maybe if he's a couple of weeks earlier and comes back in June rather than July, then that value starts getting even better. So at $14, I thought that was pretty good. And I like my Jesse Winker too moving from the American league back to the national league in a really good hitters park in Milwaukee. He was $14 as well. So um, those are the ones I, I kind of liked in the NL. Um, and as you mentioned, Molly in the AL, um, I, I kind of like Felix Batista at 15, uh, considering the way that closers went. And I, I'm hoping and hoping really hard that uh, Brandon Belt is going to thrive there in Toronto. He's going to be healthy. And if so, getting him for $5 in an AL only league is, uh, could be huge for me. Yeah. The, the Harper one, uh, you know, there was some chatter. We, we had some, some kind of injury discussions, uh, at first pitch Florida. And, and I know, you know, a couple of people were suggesting, you know, he might even be back in June, uh, definitely kind of guesswork there, but, mm -hmm. uh, getting a player who is, you know, arguably a, a top five player in the NL when he's healthy for, for 14. Uh, and then in, in this league, you, you get to, to IL him and then fab someone else to, to slot in there. Yeah. Um, and the fact too, I mean, we saw when he came back in the playoffs last year from the injury, how, you know, how really good he can be. And uh, boy, if, if I can get that when he comes off the injured list this year, it'll be, it'll be very nice for my team. Were there any other uh, buys from from other uh, managers that that you kind of look back on? I know you've been writing up some some summaries on on the the two auctions and and the mixed league one. Uh, are there any other ones from from other managers that that really sort of stand out to you as sort of how did how did we let this guy go for for this price? <laughs> yeah, um, there were there were a handful. I thought. Um, I mean, Jonathan Indy is another guy that I really like. Uh, he went for what did he go for? Fourteen. Fourteen. Yeah, I, I think I think he could be really good um, this season and and get back to the form. You know, his rookie of the year form. Um, some of the other picks. Let's. Um, there, there's so many. I mean, the thing is that this room is so sharp. I mean, everybody is is on the ball. Everybody's done their homework. And so it's really hard unless 
you're getting some of those injury guys. Um, you know, Jacob deGrom went for 23 uh, because of injury questions. That could be really great for Frank Stample in the AL um, because compared to some of the others in the AL, that's a, a fantastic bargain. You know, uh, C still in Cease went for 24 and Bieber went for 25, Gossman 25. DeGrom is, can be certainly better than, than any of those guys, significantly better if he's healthy and, and can stay healthy. So really, I, I think if you're willing to take a, a shot here and there on a guy who's got a little risk, um, you're doing okay. But, but otherwise, unless you're waiting until late and you happen to have the, you know, the hammer to, uh, to pluck off some of those guys uh, and bid $7 when other people only have six, um, it's, it's tough to find bargains in this league. Yeah, that was that was Jesse Roach and the, the or the AL that got Degrom at, at twenty three. Right. That's right, Jesse. Did. Uh, I I looked back. I mean, this was Jesse's first time in the league. He was actually the person mm-hmm. that I when I was filling out uh, the questionnaire for you uh, about like which team that did the best. I, I mm-hmm. thought Jesse did did really well for a rookie. Uh, obviously, you know, Degrom. He also got uh, Tyler Glass now for eleven, uh, taking on a lot of risk there. Uh, right. But you could see. You know, you can you're, you're kind of trying to get those high end outcomes. You could see how it could all come together for him. Yeah, I did. I did the same with uh, with Lance McCullers Jr. too. Just uh, you know, take take a shot with some of those guys, and possibly you know uh, they'll 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 get healthy and and be be good. It it wasn't. I, I think last year injury guys were not a great risk. Um, you know, if they were supposed to be coming back, you know, in the first month or two or three. Uh, but we still keep going back to that well. So uh, I thought Eno Saris brought up a, a great point uh, that next morning. Uh, he was discussing spending forty dollars for Jose Ramirez, and he's you know he's been playing in this league for for over a decade. He said that's the first time he's ever spent uh, forty dollars on a player. Uh, but he also made the point that the you know we can all run our sort of valuations, our auction calculators. Uh, but at least, you know, for him, historically, it seemed like the, the very best players sort of get a three to five dollar bump on top of your your valuation for them uh, in the in the actual auction. Uh, you didn't you didn't necessarily sort of shop in that that section of the market. Uh, Marcus Semyon for twenty nine was your most expensive in the AL. Max Scherzer for 30 was your most expensive in the NL. Uh, do you typically get priced out on those types of players that we consider, you know, no doubt mixed league first rounders? Most of the time, yes. And it's partly because I don't, I don't uh, dislike shopping in the high rent district, but what it does, is, you know, the, the after effects and the ripple effects when you get into the late stages of the draft to where you don't have a whole lot of money to spend and they're a bunch of $1 players left over. I don't like, you know, fishing in that pool. So what I try and do is, is maybe go and and get those second tier players, get a couple of them even. Um, And then I have some leftover to where my last guys that I get on my roster are three and $4 guys instead of one or $2 guys. Or if they are one or $2 guys, they're guys that I want and I nominate and I get for that, uh, you know, price. And if, if people go an extra dollar on me, I'm okay with letting them go for there. So I, I think that's one of the, one of the reasons why I don't really go all out for those 
$40 players and $38 players and, and guys like that, just because of what it does down the road uh, to the rest of your draft. Yeah. And, and Eno won uh, last year by a, by a very wide margin. And I believe he, he spent up for Kyle Tucker last year. Didn't, didn't have to go to 40 on Tucker last year, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, he, he probably looks back on that as a successful build and, um, yeah. And the replacement afraid. value again, if you lose one of those guys, it's so hard to get somebody to take the place and provide you anywhere close to the stats that you're looking to get. So I think that's why um, generally when I'm successful, I play, you know, in the, in that middle area and, uh, and it, it, it's best for me. And we got a comment here in the chat from uh, Brian Murray, who says in the AL, it is worth spending big on third base, um, sort of citing the, the the drop off in terms of replacement value there. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, Eno had if you're going to spend up, especially in the AL, you know, get a guy at a fairly scarce position, get a guy who hits home runs and a guy who steals bases. I mean, you have that little triple play. That's that's worth the extra bump. So it, it makes, makes a lot of sense when you look at it that way. Yeah. And, and you and I, you and I spent a decent amount at third base. Uh, you got Eugenio Suarez for 15. I got Alex Bregman for 24. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there, there's, you know, some teams are going into the season with, you know, Gio Urshela or Jace Peterson or, uh, you know, Josh yeah, Donaldson. Montada, yeah. Down in that so, area. Yeah, so it does it does fall off in the AL. Uh, okay, I'm gonna we're gonna head to a quick uh, message from our sponsors, and then Steve and I will be back to uh, talk about uh, the two uh, labor leagues, NL only and AL only, uh, which I got to witness this past weekend. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The fantasy baseball season is underway, and there's no better place to play than Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy baseball. Right now, Underdog has MLB Best Ball tournaments live, including the Dinger, which has 500K in total prizes. In Best Ball, all you do is join a contest, draft your team, and that's it. There are no waivers, no trades, and no in-season management. Draft 20 rounds of players and get the best cumulative scores in your starting lineup. Three pitchers, three infielders, three outfielders, and one flex each week of the regular season. Getting started is simple. Go to underdogfantasy.com, sign up with the promo code RWMLB, and not only will RotoWire or will Underdog uh, double your initial deposit up to $100, but you'll also get six months of our RotoWire subscription for free. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy, promo code RWMLB. Draft your 100K Dinger team today. Fantrax is the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty keeper, redraft, and best ball leagues. If you are on another site and you want to move your league to Fantrax, that's that's easy. You can customize your league settings. Uh, they've got the best player pool in the industry, uh, all the minor leaguers. They've got guys who, who aren't even in professional baseball yet. Uh, they've got guys from overseas in the player pool if you're doing an open universe dynasty league. Uh, you know, the, it's, it's also the best, uh, site, I think to, to sort statistically, you can use advanced statistics to sort for free agents. Uh, that's where we have the, the Highlander dynasty invitational. I play in several other dynasty leagues on fan track. So I uh, really can't recommend it highly enough. Sign up for free today and be entered to win an official MLB Jersey, a signed Jersey from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Simply go to fantrax.com slash rotowire and sign up today. That's F-A-N-T-R-A-X dot com slash Rotowire Fantrax, the home of fantasy sports. Okay, Steve, we're back. Uh, someone in my in my like AL Labor recap article commented that it it seemed like I was sort of too much of a, a slave to my pre-draft values uh, and that I might not compete as a result of it. Uh, there, you know, there were some managers uh, who openly admitted to kind of going over their price on on a player here and there uh, to make sure that they got their guy. Uh, you know, maybe going into the auction with the strategy of getting a specific player. Uh, that's that's something I did last year, um, and I and I kind of, you know, I wanted to try to actually be a slave to my pre-draft values this year and, and sort of see how it went. Uh, you know, the, you also you'll have players like Derek Cardi uh, and Ariel Cohen, who will tell you generally shouldn't spend more than you're, you have a player valued at. Uh, but, you know, where do you sort of fall in that kind of line of thinking in terms of being rigid versus being more flexible in auction? 
Yeah, I'm. I think I'm way more flexible than than maybe just about anybody in in labor, just because I don't do my own statistical projections. Um, I I kind of take a look at the league. I do rankings, but I look at how the players are in comparison to each other in terms of of overall value and category value, and I just sort of have them there, and and I have kind of guide values. But I don't think we can be so precise. I think that's one of the things when people look at anybody's projections, it doesn't matter who it is, you look at a projection for a particular player or several players and say, uh, and we had a session at, at first pitch about different kinds of projections and which players are hard to project and which players maybe are a little easier. I look at those and say, we can't get as close as we want to. We can't get anywhere near the actual value that they're going to have. So let's look at these players in relation to the other players. And once you start getting the players off the board and you see who's available, the values change. And it's really hard to, you know, if, if you're sticking to these values that you have brought into the draft and they're changing as the draft is going on, then you're going to miss something. And that's at least that's the way I look at it. I have a certain amount that I plan to spend on a position grouping, like first base, third base, corner infielder, or for my outfield, based on kind of the depth of the league and, and what I see are the, you know, the, the, the strong points and the weak points of the player pool. But once you get going, you've got to be able to adjust. And so if somebody you know, is, is out there that I feel like my team really needs, I have no problem going three, $4, $5 over what I have projected for them to start the draft. So I think that's one of the things, especially with scarce categories like steals, uh, like saves, things like that. Um, catcher situation. I mean, the catchers this year, the catching pool is a lot deeper, it seems like, than it's ever been. And as a result, the prices on those guys were a lot higher than I thought they would be just because people wanted to get good catchers and they were willing to pay up for them. So yeah, I, I feel like you have to be flexible. And if you stick to those numbers, you run the risk of maybe missing out on opportunities where you could have, you know, if you're saving money on some of the later guys, you could have used that money earlier um, to get players that you really need more than the one you ended up with. Yeah, I want to touch on a couple of things you said there. Yeah, I, I, I definitely felt, uh, and this is probably the case every year, but uh, I felt at least in the AL auction that that we were both in, uh, anyone, it, it seemed like almost anyone who had a chance to steal 15 plus bases, no matter how bad of a hitter they were, was getting yeah. really priced up. And I I blame uh, Larry Schechter um, for about half of that. It seemed like he was in on every single guy who was going to steal bases. Yeah, um, I, I felt the exact same way. And as as a result, I mean, I got I got Marcus Simeon early and figured, yeah, you know, I'll be in in good shape with him because he'll give me power. He'll steal some bases. And then I, I felt like you. Everybody was just getting pushed up and up and up and up. I mean. You know, Cedric Mullins was at 28. Estuary Ruiz was 15. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, all those all those guys that uh, maybe you wouldn't necessarily, although I like Mullins too, but, you know, further down, I ended up having to jump in 
and get Adalberto Mondesi or else Simeon might have been the only guy that I had that would get double digit steals. So, um, and Mondesi's hurt and who knows what he's going to do when he comes back or when he's going to come back. But at least the threat of him being able to, to run and steal bases, um, I felt like I needed that. And uh, I pretty much just passed on all those guys and figured I'll get a roster that's stronger elsewhere because we can trade. Uh, maybe if, if I need to, I'll look for steals, you know, uh, on the trade market later on in the season. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in a similar boat as you. Uh, I I actually ended up feeling fortunate to get Akil Badu for six in the, mm-hmm. in the AL. Uh, but other than other than Badu and, you know, maybe Waters, um, maybe Gordon, Nick Gordon, uh, like, you know, I'm, I'm really relying on Oswald Peraza to, to get to 20 yeah. steals and uh, Jose Altuve I could really use to get to 10 steals and be nice if Vlad chipped in some, but the point about trading is is key here because that is a category kind of like with saves where whoever is leading that category um, is going to look at their standings in July or August and kind of uh, decide that they could they could probably flip some speed or some saves for for help elsewhere. So yeah, um, I think with the with the new rules this year, we really have no idea how much it's going to increase stolen bases and what you know part of the player pool will benefit the most. Um, I tend to think that maybe the upper level guys might steal you know 10, 15 percent more, but the bulk of the the extra steals might come in those you know 10 to 20 steal players. So um, Perhaps it may be easier if steals are are more prevalent during the season, and we we have pretty good indication that they will be. Um, it may be easier to buy steals or trade for steals during the season because the people that you know made a point of getting guys who will run are going to have a lot more extra, and you know possibly we can leverage that you and I can um, later on in the season to our advantage. Well, we. We might be competing and and we might be being uh, positioned against each other in trade well, talks. Uh, well, if, if we're not bidding against each other in the room on these guys, then uh, we'll be uh, negotiating and trade deals against each other, perhaps. So we we mentioned uh, third base, like uh, in kind of in passing, in, in terms of being a shallow position in the AL. Were, were there any other uh, positions that that kind of stood out to you uh, since you're in both auctions, where you were sort of like, oh it really falls off a cliff at, at this spot in the American league or in the, in the NL. I, I definitely want to make sure I get kind of one of these top five or six guys at, at this position. Are there any, yeah, any I, positions like know, that? What was interesting to me is that especially in the NL, I mean, you see some definite tier breaks in those, you know, you've got a top three or four at a position. I, I was that was one of the things when I was when I was doing my my analysis and recap of of the way that that draft went. I mean, you've got, for instance, JT Romuto, Will Smith and Wilson Contreras were all 23 or above. Then you've got a gap until Tyler Stevenson and William Contreras and Travis Darno and Kbert Ruiz were all 15, 13 to 15. So you have to figure out you know which area which tier you're going to play in same sort of thing you know, top four first baseman freddie freeman paul goldschmidt pete alonzo and matt olson all 30 and above in nl labor 
The next highest was Reese Hoskins at 20. Uh, so you can do that. It seemed like at every position, there was a clump of players at the top and sometimes a second clump in, you know, under that to where you had to sort of make your choice and decide, do I want an upper tier first baseman? And if I do, is that going to keep me from getting a guy that I want at second base? So check that out. I, I, I wonder if that's going to be something that we'll see consistently. Uh, I don't think that it was something that'll be unique to labor in the NL this season. Um, so that was, that was something that, that really jumped out at me. And then, you know, I talked a little bit about the, the wealth of, of really good starting pitchers in the National League. I don't think they're that many in the American League. And mm-hmm. we didn't see as many 20-plus um, do- uh, dollar pitchers. We certainly didn't see 30-plus. Only Garrett Cole went for 30 or more in the AL. So you've got to be a little bit more judicious in uh, in the AL if you're going to look for that ace starting pitcher. And you you brought up catchers. I you know this is only my second year in the league, uh, but I I seem to remember catchers. I think Sal Perez maybe went for like 21 last year as the most expensive guy or something like that. Um, it seemed like you know do you, do you think it's just because like that the top end talent there are more kind of guys that people really feel deserve a hefty price or is it maybe a changing kind of mindset among the people in the leagues in terms of how valuable having a good catcher is like did did you notice it being kind of different this year compared to past years yeah i did and i think really the the greater factor more so than any change in philosophy or the new people that we had in the nl it's just the catching pool has gotten so much better. I mean, you look at Adley Rutschman when he came up and what a difference maker he was last year. You've got MJ Melendez, you know, who came up and made an impact himself and, you know, is playing in the outfield. There are a couple of guys that do have kind of that dual position eligibility. Tyler Stevenson was one of the guys that I got in the NL draft. And I was, you know, I, I try not to target players specifically, but he was one of the guys that I felt really has a chance to break through this year um, because he's not going to catch every day. He's going to play a lot of first base. And uh, David Bell said that he wanted to do it that way to give him a break behind the plate because he got, you know, he lost a lot of time due to a concussion and a collision, you know, last year. And uh, he was, he was one of their best hitters before that. So um, I, I think William Contreras coming up playing, you know, DH and I think too, you add the DH to the National League, and a lot of those teams have have kind of looked at the strategy of giving your catcher a break, especially a good hitting catcher, and just having him DH so that he's a little bit fresher, can last the season. Um, because you saw what happened when uh, Sal Perez you know, had that season a couple of years ago with his, what, 48 home runs? I mean, he was playing every day. But he wasn't every day behind the plate. He was DHing a lot. So I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, a couple of the young prospects even now, really good catching prospects, promising catching prospects. So you add those guys to the player pool. And now that catcher, especially in two catcher leagues, that second catcher doesn't have to be a dead spot that you just churn through during the season. You can actually get some guys that can be productive, uh, you know, in both of those catcher positions. Yeah, you had and and you got Dalton Varsho, who 
has emerged as a as a top exactly. two or three catcher, and he's going to be playing every day in the outfield. And Greg Ambrosius and Sean Childs got Varsho and Rutschman for a total of forty six. Yeah. Uh, so, and then I I also thought there were kind of looking back on the NL, and I was in there for most of the auction. Uh, I really, you know, I don't have uh, Francisco Alvarez anywhere, but I really thought Greg and Sean getting Francisco Alvarez for one dollar. Uh, was a really nice buy in the NL. I know he's UT only, and, and they also got Andy Rodriguez, another catching prospect. But uh, man, that that just seemed like uh, a really good value in, a, in an NL only getting Francisco yeah. Alvarez for one dollar. He, he came out really in the first round. Uh, somebody nominated him. Um, in fact, they may have nominated him. Right? Um, yeah. I can look back, but I think they did. Well, and yeah. It's like they were the room was kind of stunned. And I think that's, you know, that's one of the great things about, uh, about doing these live, live auctions is you never know what's going to happen. And the way that people react, you know, we didn't want to fill up our UT spot. Uh, Shohei Otani hadn't come out yet. Um, and although he can move between utility and pitcher, uh, which is another great uh, thing that, uh, why I was bidding on him, but those UT only guys, in, in the American League, you want to keep your options open. And that was that was a smart move by them. I don't know that necessarily they were aware of uh, Alvarez. Oh, the, U- the UT only part? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, that's uh, – they, they've corrected themselves. You know, it didn't, didn't seem to miss a beat and didn't worry about it going forward. Well, either way, yeah, it definitely worked out. I think you're right, probably, that, you know, everyone else knew that he was UT only. And that is not something you're necessarily looking to do is like first 10 minutes of an auction, fill your UT spot. Uh, so that, that, that played uh, to their advantage, I think. Um, yep. And, and you look at how many people, uh, and again, that was in the NL, not, not the AL, but just in general, you know, people don't want to fill up their UT spot. Um, because there are opportunities. You never know what's going to happen later in the draft. And you know, there are a handful of guys that, that are pretty decent, you know, in terms of, of uh, UT onlys, you know, the J.D. Martinez's and they got the guys, uh, Nelson Cruz and, and Matt Carpenter uh, in San Diego, Shea Langoliers also UT only. So, and, and I think one of the, the smart things too, in labor, especially with catchers, you only need five, appearances at a position to gain eligibility so that kind of opens the door for you know alvarez is going to be pretty quickly uh, assuming that he does see time behind the plate and he's you know he's there from opening day going to gain that catcher eligibility pretty quick so that's that's also something to to keep in mind know your rules right and they since they took andy rodriguez uh they will you know they'll be able to shuttle him down to, to the minors um, once he gets sent down. Uh, exactly. And then at that kind of uh, a week later, they'll be able to slot Alvarez into the, the catcher spot. Um, so you mentioned like the new blood in the league. I think there were, I think there were four first time labor participants in the AL and NL side of things. And then there were also some veteran participants who were joining uh, the NL league. 
and it might have been used. I think someone commented um, when we were kind of recapping the the NL auction uh, that next morning that it sort of the bidding sort of seemed just more normal than everyone was sort of used to because nobody was kind of trying these outside the box strategies or uh, you know nobody was kind of doing. Um, just kind of weird tendencies that really kind of stick with you. And you sort of remember, Oh, this guy always does it like this. Uh, are there any sort of memorable uh, outside the box strategies or, or tendencies from managers that you can kind of recall um, from, from the long history of, of labor that really kind of stand out to you? Oh, sure. Uh, we were, we were talking in fact, after, after the draft on uh, Saturday night um, about, Hey, remember when, you know, some of the old timers were, were sitting around the table and talking about the, the famous Larry Labadini $9 pitching staff. <laughs> where he just went all in on the hitting and uh, threw away the pitching. It, it didn't work, but he did win a labor title. I think maybe the next year with a modified version of that. Um, so, yeah, I think some of the things, um, you know, strategies that we that we know now kind of evolved out of, of labor. You know, Ron Chandler, who was back, you know, you talk about the newcomers. Uh, Ron Chandler came back after being out last year. He was in the mix, mixed labor uh, back in 2020 and then took some time off and was pretty much going to call it quits and playing in the industry leagues. But he came back. We were down in Florida in his backyard and he couldn't resist an opportunity to draft with us. And he came back for the NL. And Ron you know, develop the, the Lima plan. Um, and for, for those who, uh, who haven't been, you know, students of, of uh, labor history and fantasy baseball history, the, it's called for low investment mound aces. And uh, it was basically named after uh, Francisco, Fernando Lima. Jose Sorry. Lima? Jose, oh, Jose Lima. Um, yes, that's who it was. Uh, so anyway, um, and who was a, a key to that kind of strategy, say Lima. Um, and so anyway, you know, those types of strategies you, you can develop. And, and labor was originally kind of that Petri dish for people to try out new strategies. Um, I tried one time to punt batting average in labor and it failed spectacularly. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, you, you learn from that. Um, hopefully uh, you, you learn from your mistakes and you get to where you're, uh, you know, comfortable with doing what you're doing. But, um, you know, that's the fun thing. You, you know that, that Doug Dennis is probably not going to spend a whole lot on pitching when you go in the room. Um, you know, Lenny Melnick was famous for never drafting a closer, but always tossing him out there for everybody else to feed on. Um, and, and so you get to try out, you know, the, the different types of strategies and um, hopefully – figure out what works best for you. But uh, yeah, it's been, it's been awfully fun to see the cast of characters that we've had cycle through labor and, and uh, trying to spot what they're doing before they completely do it. And then maybe thwart them a little bit. Um, that that's, that's kind of fun. Yeah. That, that Saturday night after labor, I mean, that was a, that was kind of a, a whirlwind because we got, we got kicked out of our, of our <laughs> banquet hall and we kind of had to finish up the reserve round uh, like out on the patio area and uh, and then afterwards um, you know we, we were hanging out and talking about um, you know back in the day stuff but that was that was a ton of fun um, you know 
getting to getting to drink Coronas with Greg Ambrosius in his final year in, in the league is, is certainly right. a, a highlight. Um, Making all sorts of memories out there. <laughs> and most definitely. Um, so, you know, in the, in the NL, uh, I want to talk about your, which one of your teams you think has, has the best chance to win from, from just the NL and AL teams um, in the NL. You built your team around uh, Michael Harris at 29, Dansby Swanson 24. You got Scherzer for 30. Uh, you paid up a little bit at catcher with with Tyler Stevenson, Travis Darno, and then you kind of spread the rest out. And then in the AL, you built around Semyon at 29, uh, Byron Buxton 23, Eloy Jimenez 21. You got Shane Bieber as your ace at 25. Uh, which of those two teams, you know, now that you get the chance to kind of look back, which of those teams do you think has, has the best chance to win the league? I think probably the NL, um, just because I didn't have as much risk uh, as I did in the AL. Uh, I, I thought I was a little bit slow to build, um, not by design or anything, but just the way that the, uh, that the, the prices went in that league, especially – you know, with with Greg Ambrosius and Sean Childs jumping out so quickly in the NL and buying almost four fifths of their roster in the first hour, um, I tended to lay back a little bit. And and after getting Harris um, and Dansby Swanson there and and Scherzer too, as you mentioned, um, I kind of held off and and tried to again play that middle. Um, Darno was really not. You know, if I had a regret. Or, or something that I, I might not have really been on board with after the fact it was going after I'd gotten Stevenson going after Darno and getting that second catcher. Um, I really had trouble filling my second base spot and to have some of that money left over to be able to get, you know, a Jonathan India or somebody like that, I think would have made this team even stronger. That said, number one, it's a team that's, that's fairly uh, healthy and has a fairly good track record of staying healthy, especially the hitters. So I feel like I'm, I'm fairly balanced there. And then on the pitching side, um, getting Scherzer, Joe Musgrove at 15 may be the key, depending on how quickly he can come back from that broken toe. Uh, it's, it's still kind of early in spring, and I know that we tend to, uh, as fantasy analysts and fantasy drafters, overreact to every single bit of news that we see because it's all that we have. And we like to add, you know, as much as we know, we like to feel like we have all the information or as much information as possible and factor all of that in. And if he's going to be out, you know, maybe for a a month or six weeks, he's still going to be back, you know, in April sometime, maybe toward the end of April. um, I possibly will be able to get, five sixths of the season. And that's pretty good for that price. So um, I, I think the NL team was a little bit more balanced. I was able to, you know, I had, had a hole there in the middle for a while, but then the bargains become a little bit more prevalent toward the end game. And I think I was one of those that, that did have a little bit of money toward the end that I was able to spend hopefully well in getting, you know, guys like, like Jesse Winker that I mentioned for 14 and Harper, uh, Brandon Nimmo, uh, was an $18 buy, but I'm okay with that. Um, and, and guys like that, uh, Sean Manaya for nine, kind of like that a little bit. Uh, in the AL, a little bit more risk. 
Um, I had, obviously, when you have Mondesi and Buxton, you're going to have an awful lot of, of hope as your, uh, your key element. But, uh, but otherwise, I think that's a pretty solid team, except for, except for the speed that I have. Yeah, I mean, it, to, your, to your NL team, I thought, uh, you know, Camilo Duvall for 13 was a really nice price uh, compared to the other closer prices, uh, both in the NL and the AL. Um, you know, there were guys in the – I mean, Bautista was a great price for you in the, the AL on the closer side of things too, but uh, I think closers went for more, at least in the AL, than I remember them going for last year. I. Yeah. I think I, I think I might've been the person who I don't think I threw out Emmanuel Classe, but I, I at one point had him at 21 and then he goes for, I think he went for like 25. Uh, and that's a, I don't think that's a bad price or anything, but I was just surprised because last year I think he went for like 19 or 20. Um, so I think getting Doval at 13 uh, and even getting Dylan Floro for five, I think that's, that's a nice, uh, nice kind of start to, to kind of finishing top third and saves, I would think, in that league. Um, yeah, I was I was really happy with that because I had to evolve for for a couple of dollars more. And we had you know, we had four closers in the NL go for more than twenty dollars, which had not happened in labor. NL. I, I went and looked this up. Um, it had not happened in labor NL since 2007 when we had four twenty dollar closers. So that was that was kind of surprising and uh, people really, you know, wanted to lock down those saves. And I understand that. I mean, it, it makes sense with so many bullpens going to the closer by committee. It makes those guys that much more valuable. So uh, I get it. But if those people, you know, get, you get your $20 closer, you're probably not going to be in on a closer in the teens. And uh, that's where I was able to bargain hunt a little bit in both leagues. Yeah, so uh, maybe you could say I buried the lead, but we were both there uh, for the Jordan Walker show on Saturday. Uh, he ended up going for $16 to Greg and Sean the night before, uh, but I was kind of lamenting that it would have been great if Ale had gone first and then NL had gone second right. so that we could sort of see uh, what Walker would have gone for because not only did he go four for four, with 920 feet worth of home runs and a double, and he was just wearing out that left center alley. Uh, but he did so in front of, I don't know, two dozen fantasy analysts, 30 fantasy analysts. At least, yes, yes. I mean, it was, uh, it was included. You know, tickets to the game was included as part of the package for first pitch. So uh, we there were no nothing scheduled, no sessions scheduled. It was, let's go watch baseball. Beautiful day. And uh, you couldn't turn that down, and especially the chance to see Jordan Walker. And he, you know, he played the whole game because the Cardinals traveled, so you got to see him get four at bats. And uh, yeah, it was. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, James. I don't get to see a, as many spring training games as I used to. Used to be able to go for a week in Arizona, a week in Florida, and do all sorts of reporting and everything else. Um, but. For all of the games that I've seen that I can recall, I don't think anybody has been more impressive in one single game at spring training than Jordan Walker was. I mean, everything was hit on a line. It was hit hard. And, you know, the two home runs that he hit, both of them were on two strike counts too. So, I mean, just process that 
And and as you said, if we had had the NL draft that night instead of the night before, I mean, we could have seen him. And I think you'll you'll definitely see this once you know the new ADP numbers, revised ADP numbers start coming out. He's going to be up there, top 200 overall, maybe top 150 overall, just because. I mean, are you going to you going to keep Jordan Walker off of this team? Um, are you going to keep him out of the starting lineup? I don't know that uh, that the Cardinals are going to be able to do that. He's just playing his way onto the roster. Well, yeah, and and this. You know, the, it's so funny. The the first home run he hit, um, we, we're we there sitting with like probably, I don't know, there were probably 20 people just right around me that I'm having conversations with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jordan Walker comes up and I'm like, look, I'm I'm focusing on this at bat. I'm not uh, turning. Don't and, talk to me. That's right. And, but, but then someone uh, was trying to get to their seat. And so I had to get up and and let someone walk past me and get to their seat and he hits the home run as i'm standing up to let this person walk past me uh but thankfully i look over and there's eric cross and jesse roach both have their cameras out and they're sort of you know quickly trying to type out a a tweet and then i i go and search jordan walker on twitter and jeff ponce who is sitting behind the plate he's already got the video of the home run up so you know there wasn't instant replay in that ballpark, but there was an uh-huh. replay on Twitter from all the people that were at the park. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think that's just, just Jordan Walker being, you know, considerate of us that when he came back up, you know, right. in, the, in, the, in his last at bat that he showed exactly, you know, when we had a nice good view of it, unobstructed, um, he put one out, you know, over the concession stand. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's just like, ah, oh. in baseball, just, I mean, Thank, thank you, Jordan Walker, for being so reliable because, uh, you know, everyone had their cameras out then for, for the rest of his at-bats, and he, he didn't disappoint from there on out. You know, it's funny. I'll, I'll just throw this out. When you talk about, you know, being able to, to have a, a history of, of labor and um, times that uh, we've been to the Fall League and, and seen the Fall Stars game and some of the games out there with some of the top prospects, one of the, the things that the, uh, the veterans – like to talk about was remember that time when we saw the Cardinals when they had that guy named Albert Pujols that wasn't expected to make the team but was really impressive in the fall league yeah it was great I think that may be our uh, you know our Pujols moment is watching Jordan Walker in spring training at first pitch so of course we had uh Derek Cardi then on Sunday morning um, who I believe you mentioned Saturday night has the highest winning percentage in labor history. I think, I think you have the most total wins, but uh, Derek Cardi, I think you said has the highest winning percentage in labor. And of course he was uh, trying to pour cold water on the whole thing. Um, you know, just kind of mentioning, you know, bias and uh, just being realistic about projecting rookies. Uh, so do you think this is a case where, you mentioned the ADP and how much he's going to climb. Do you think this is going to be a scenario where he's just overpriced going forward because of this spring, or was it so impressive that you kind of want to get a piece of the action? I'll tell you, I probably will want to get a piece of the action somewhere just in case. I mean, it, it's, it's impossible you know, for him to live up to the standard that he set in front of us you know, in that one spring training game. Um, so yeah, I, I think his, his value was already on the way up 
when he had a, I think uh, he had a home run in his first spring training game. So, I mean, this wasn't even the beginning of the Jordan Walker hype volcano, but uh, I, I think inevitably you're going to see him fail at some point this season. I mean, you, it's really hard. And Julio Rodriguez did it last year to jump from double a to the major leagues, you know, at age 20. Um, but, you know, even Julio Rodriguez had some slow points last season, um, had some slumps, had some issues and the learning curve was there still an extremely valuable fantasy player. But I, I think the same sort of thing we have to kind of take with a grain of salt. Um, I don't know that, uh, that I'm as down as, or, or maybe as, as ultra realistic as Derek is because <laughs> I like to kind of go along for the ride. Uh, I like to dream on th- these young guys. And so, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll try not to be overly aggressive. Um, I did that when Jose Abreu came up. I remember feeling like that people weren't giving him enough credit and we didn't really see you know, this kind of performance in spring training, but, um, but I was on Jose Abreu in practically every league I could get him in and it worked out for me. I think now we're a lot smarter. We're a lot savvier and those opportunities, you know, you're going to have to pay a lot more or draft Jordan Walker a lot higher than maybe you would have five or 10 years ago, just because everybody's aware of him. And uh, that's still, I think I'll try and, and at least get some of the action somewhere in one of my leagues. Yeah. And the, and the way this is going to work is people are going to go into their drafts tonight, tomorrow. They're going to be like, I'm taking Jordan Walker in the 10th round. And Someone else is going to take them in the ninth round, and so mm-hmm. the next the next time they're in a draft, they're going to be like, "All right, I'm taking them in the ninth round," and then someone in that draft is going to take them in the eighth round, and then you're just yeah, the, the ADP is just going to uh, get to a, a pretty crazy place here, I, I think, before opening day. You know what was interesting? I'll th- one more thing: um, the next day after Jordan Walker's uh, home run display, we had the mixed labor draft, and he only went for twelve in in that particular auction so i wonder if this was after derek kind oh of yeah his, uh, his his little session there and and talked about it um i wonder if maybe derek brought a few of those folks in that room back to reality or if uh if maybe that's all it takes is just you know a chance to breathe and then put it into context and the mixed league versus you know nl only also there's a there's a different dynamic make there too but the replacement value is you know a lot higher in Mm -hmm. a mixed league so you can afford to kind of take a chance yeah and i thought he was i thought for 16 on the nl side uh it's you know nl only i think is in even better place to maybe go after someone like walker because uh even you know him getting sent to triple a for a few weeks isn't the end of the world there um because you just you can reserve him and mm. um, and then there is that that really high upside uh, and he will be adding outfield eligibility here uh, soon enough. It's a great point. Great point. All right, so uh, this is a nice transition. This I usually in this spot um, we I have a, a guest and I will go through um, some people in a, a round of ADP and we'll give some targets and some fades, but. Uh, Jordan Walker, I think, is a good reminder that this is a good time of year to kind of throw ADP out the window. 
uh, you know, I, I think it's still useful, I guess, and you definitely want to be narrowing sort of the, the window of when you're looking at the ADP from, but, uh, you know, March is, is where people are really kind of getting their guys where they have them valued. Um, no one's really playing that, that game with ADP as much as they were earlier in the off season. So, uh, we're going to scrap that segment. And Steve, since you're one of only a handful of people in the industry who, like me, has been to several fish shows, yes, uh, I want to I want to close out with with uh, some some fish quick hitters for you. All right. So, uh, how do you remember sort of how you kind of first started going to to fish shows, or like sort of how you um, discovered them, or when that what what year that might have been? I will tell you, um, I was at a fantasy sports uh, conference in San Francisco, and I ran into one Howard Bender. Yeah. And uh, I had just started uh, bopping around on my uh, satellite radio and had come onto the uh, the Jam Band channel and had just sort of pat, you know familiar in passing with fish, um, but I kind of liked what I heard. And ran into uh, a notorious fish head in Bender at uh, this conference, and we just started talking. And you know, we hit it off wonderfully. He said, "Hey, man, I've got some, got a couple shows on disc, you know, and I can send them to you, and and all of this." And so we we struck up a friendship over fantasy baseball and fish, and uh, the shows he sent me were were fantastic. And from pretty much that moment on, I was like. I need to listen to more of these guys and I need to go see some shows. So I think I saw my first show, you know, I, I missed the, the 1.0 and the 2.0 eras and, and came in probably around 2013. Um, I saw my first show and have tried to, if at all possible, get to at least one somewhere um, every year since then. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I think I, uh, We've got a sort of similar um, time frame, I guess. I think I probably mm-hmm. went to my first show in like 2009, maybe. Um, kind of right when they got back together. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and, and Bender, of course, is is uh, probably the most famous fantasy analyst who's who, or just famous fish fan among fantasy analysts. And, right. uh, you know, I know Eno's. You know, been to some fish shows, um, mm-hmm. but there there aren't many of us. So I, I had to I had to talk some fish with you here at the end. Uh, do you know Do you know how many shows you've been to total? I have um, the the count is fifteen at the moment. So I'm not somebody who can get up and and travel. Um, you know, generally during the summer there's baseball that's going on, and so uh, I don't get a chance to go everywhere. But like I said, I've tried to kind of hit one or two um, if they come near me every year and and uh i kind of held up my held up my end of the bargain there i think you've got me beat i, I think i've only been to a dozen okay um, on, only a dozen um but you're you're in kind of a better part of the country i think uh yes you know they, they you know east coast they're going to be playing a ton of shows near you most summers um so that's that's a good part of the country if you want to keep seeing them every summer for me it's it's pretty much uh, you know, I either go to, uh, Alpine Valley here in Wisconsin, which is really, really annoying to get to, uh, get to and from, or I have to really get, get mobile. I've seen them at Wrigley. 
but yeah, I mean, you, it's it's not the best part of the country if I want to just make sure I'm, I'm seeing fish every summer. Uh, do you have a, a favorite fish show you've been to? Uh, there there are, are many. Um, I have to say, uh, again, I, I was able to hook up with Howard Bender. God love him. Um, and we caught the entire postponed New Year's run um, last April in New York City. So we saw all, all four of those shows and the, the, the New Year's Eve show uh, with the, the whales floating oh, through Madison Square Garden and dolphins and everything um, was just mind-blowing. So that has to be one of them. Um, I, I think that's tops on the list. In terms of the musical selections, um, I saw them at uh, Blossom in Ohio and uh that was just a a fantastic show and i actually caught one on the way back from first pitch arizona one year i had a layover in las vegas and they were playing there and howard bender was at that show we we were way far apart but i bought a single ticket just walked and meandered through the mgm uh mgm grand (laughs) and found a single and and went to that show and then came home from uh, from the Arizona Fall League, so that was kind of memorable, just for all that that I had to do to get to that show. But uh, uh, but yeah, I uh, I have my uh, fish T-shirt on, provided that just just oh, for the, perfect, for the perfect, audience. love it. Um, <laughs> have you my my favorite that I've been to is the uh, Super Bowl Nine, which is was up in Watkins Glen in 2011. Uh, so that was. Uh, me and my my best friend since first grade uh, hopped in his Jeep Wrangler and drove from Wisconsin to Watkins Glen. That's fantastic. And spent the whole weekend because uh, you know they're going to do the they're, they'll do a, a daytime set. I think that one of them was like an acoustic daytime set, and then they do the mm-hmm. normal set set encore. Uh, but the highlight of that weekend was they did this secret set uh, right. Saturday night and you know, a lot of people were kind of walking back to their campsites and then all of a sudden there's music playing sort of back towards kind of the, the, the stage area. So everyone goes rushing back out there and, and they're playing this, this set. Uh, it's like, like in, in the, the middle, middle of the night almost, right? It, yeah. It was in the middle of the night. It was uh, about an hour long. Uh, it was just uh, incredibly memorable. Um so that's that's one that would probably be tough to beat for me, especially just kind of given the time in my life when that was just, you know, early 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, what's uh, do you got a favorite fish song? Oh, dear. Um, to have them to, to see live favorite, favorite song to see live. I'll tell you, what, I got I got my first fluff head the uh, this this New Year's run in, in April. Um, so that was that was very memorable. Um, but, uh, there's, there are so many, obviously you get your tweezers, your chalk dust, uh, a bike song, uh, Harry hood. There so many of it. We, it's funny. We had once, once upon a time, Howard and uh, a couple other guys in the, uh, in the media industry, we actually had a fish song draft that <laughs> we did and it was a snake draft. And, uh, it was really fun because tweezer was the first overall pick. And then as we went through the snake and everything, we came back to the team that had the first pick. The last pick was Tweezer Reprise. And Perfect. so it just seemed like 
all was right in the world. Yeah, I would, I would probably have to go with Harry Hood uh, for me. But um, yeah, I mean, honestly, Tweezer Reprise is one of my favorites as well. Yes. Uh, it, that's, and, you that's, know, the great thing is on some of the Fox uh, broadcasts of yeah. Super Bowl or whatever, uh, Jake Jolly is is uh, has has these his controls on the music, and you can listen real hard and say, "Hey, oh, there's a fish song. There's another fish song going in and out of the the commercials and everything." That's a that's a fun little little sport. I, I've definitely noticed that. I didn't know who was behind it. I just mm-hmm. I've I've known for about a decade that somebody behind the scenes there is is a big is a big jam band fan. Um, that's that's funny. It is. Um, okay, so uh, last last question related to fish. Uh, have you have you checked out or heard of the band Goose yet? Um, they're they're kind of they're sort of my new favorite uh, jam band right now, and they feel like they've kind of uh, they're kind of picking up where sort of fish left off, I guess. Um, yep. Yep. Um, I, I I have not seen a show, um, but I have some some relatives that are really into into Goose and follow them around and have seen multiple shows. So I, I've heard all the the talk, and I saw you know when Trey Anastasio sat in with Goose. Uh, when was that? Last summer or something like that. Well, when they did. Was? He did. Oh. He sat in with them at Radio City Music Hall in the summer. But then they also did a. They did a. I think an eight show tour down the East Coast yeah. where it was Trey Anastasio Band and uh, and Goose for for eight shows. Yeah. So um, and I saw some video of that, which uh, which was just fantastic. So um, I'm I'm definitely definitely receptive and looking forward to uh, to listening more. All right. Well, I'm that's a jam that's... band fan anyway. There's there's so many. I mean, uh, I love love Umphreys McGee, Disco Biscuits, and and uh, and that sort of that sort of genre. So um, ready to jump in at any at any point. Nice. I'm I'm gonna go see my first Goose show live uh, in about a month. Here they're coming to Madison, so I gotta Perfect. I gotta jump on that because they're Perfect. probably gonna be too big for Madison. Um, fairly soon uh fish isn't coming to madison anytime soon no no (laughs) i'm still trying to figure out how to get uh get a piece of summer tour this year all right steve well this has just been great uh really appreciate you taking the time um you want to let people know like uh you got got any more labor recap stuff in the hopper or anything like that or anything to look out for we um we're gonna have the the big thing i think is the uh, sports weekly uh, fantasy extra issue, which which is coming out on March fifteenth. We affectionately refer to it as the Leviathan because it has all of the recaps of of AL labor, NL labor, and mixed labor, along with our fantasy rankings and everything. It's our big preseason blowout. So look for that on newsstands. We're putting out some of that content. I just posted my NL wrap up uh, for labor yesterday, and uh, we'll look forward to the AL coming either tonight or, or tomorrow. So you can check that out at usatoday.com. And um, you can find me on Twitter at Steve A. Gardner. And uh, I'm, I'm there all the time. Well, you know, I can't thank you enough for coming on. And I also can't thank you enough for having me in AL Labor. It's, it's, uh, it's really an honor. I definitely, uh, you know, when I was first breaking into the industry, I remember listening to you with, you know, <laughs> Brett Sayre and Mike Gianella recapping these auctions and just, thinking how cool they were. So it's, it's really, 
really an honor to, to be, be a part of the fun now for, for two years here. Absolutely. You're a great addition to, uh, to the league and uh, I appreciate, you know, everything that you're doing for the industry and uh, you, you really held your own, I think in, in this year's draft too. Well, we'll see. Uh, but, but thanks again, Steve. Do you stay been... true to your values or whatever? <laughs> uh, doesn't well, matter. Yeah. I mean, I, I might've got a buck extra on, on Jose Altuve. Uh, and uh, I probably could have been pushed a little bit on Robbie Ray if, if people had been looking up at that, that roster chart and seeing how desperate I was for his case. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, this has been the, the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast brought to you by Underdog and Fantrax.